I realize that some uh, students have already started to come in for a variety of things that are going on on campus, but most will not be here for another two weeks. I don't know if that's odd to be on that trimester system, or do you like the more traditional? I went to the more of a traditional system. I went to um, school at the well-famous, world-famous school called Arkansas Tech University. Who went there? Nobody. All right. It's in Russellville, Arkansas, and my dormitory was next to a cow pasture, and the town was known for its awesome nuclear plant, which would explain a lot of what I saw there. And I, I went there to play tennis. Believe it or not, they had a tennis program. I went there to play for the Arkansas Tech Wonder Boys. No joke, that was our mascot, the Wonder Boys. And the, and the Wonder Boys, yeah. And when I... I, I learned to country two-step while I was there, so it was a great time in my life. And suffice it to say, the academic environment is just a little bit below Northwestern, just by a little bit. Um, I don't remember much what I studied or learned there, but I do remember one teacher trying to convey over and over again this idea of worldview. I had no idea what I was ta- he was talking about the first time he said it, so I took another class from him, and he talked about the exact same thing of worldview. And by that, he is trying to uh, communicate to us that everyone looks at the world in a particular way. And the way we look at the world, the way we view the world, the way we see what's going on is going to determine the way that we live. And so what he was trying to do, he was trying to get us to think about this thing we called life. And that's what I want to do with you today. I want you to think about this thing called life, reality, what you see, the way you live, how it all comes together and fits together, this thing we call life. Now, this is not what we normally do on Sunday mornings. In fact, the next few weeks are going to be totally not what we do on Sunday mornings. What we normally do is we start from the beginning of a book of the Bible and we just chip away at it throughout the year until we're done. Last week, we finished Romans. When all the students get back, starting in the beginning of October, we're going to go to 1 Samuel. And so for those of you, I know that we're, we, have a, we have an internship program and an apprentice program. We have seminary students that go to our church. I just want to tell you, don't ever preach like this. I'm a professional, and I should not even be doing this. No, I'm just saying, you can do this from time to time. But make your main thing going through books. But for today and for the next few weeks, we're going to branch out a little bit. And what we're going to do, this is what I want to do. I want us to start thinking about what does it mean to serve God with our whole lives, with our, with our whole selves. And something at our, at our church we like to call head, heart, hands. You may have been in churches where you, you, see, you hear the preacher say, you know, what we really need to do is get the truth from our head to our hearts. And what we will say, well, that doesn't go far enough. Because we want our minds transformed by the word of God. We want our affections to follow. But then we want to do something with our hands. And so if we're not doing something, we're kind of stuck here and we're stuck here. We want to do something. So we're going to talk about our head and our hearts and our hands. And this morning, we're going to start with our minds. <laughs> our minds being transformed by the word of God. And we're going to talk about this concept called worldview. 
This is really going to be a different sermon for me because I've done this from time to time, but it's been very rare that I am collaborating with someone else in our congregation. There's another leader in our congregation named Jerry Bogatz who is an elder at our church. He has studied and thought through and read and written on worldview for years. And so he and I have come together and we have collaborated on this sermon, which we've, it's, been, it's been difficult because we're throwing stuff back and forth, we're putting it together. So the parts of the sermon that you like today are mine. The parts that you don't like are his, all right? So, so somehow we got these together. And, but it was good, and this is, this is going to be good. We really worked hard on it. And right after the service, he and I are going to get together at Potbelly's, and we're going to field some questions and talk about some things more in detail. So we're going to talk about this idea of worldview. So what exactly is a worldview? Let's start with a little a definition here from James Sire in the Universe Next Door. It's a book he wrote. He said, worldview is a set of presuppositions, assumptions, which we hold about the basic makeup of our world. A, a worldview is basically thinking about your beliefs about the important issues of life. Let me, let me help you out here. This summer... I saw a movie. It was called Boyhood. I don't know if anybody has seen that movie. Maybe some of you saw that movie. And it's the story of a boy growing up. And what's really unique about this movie, it's getting it some Oscar buzz, is that they used the same actors and actresses to film this movie over a 12-year period. So as the boy grows, it's the same actor growing. That's really unique. But what really encouraged me or made me think about the movie is that during the movie, the boy will have a big time in his life, like his parents will get divorced, or he'll graduate, or he'll be in a, a, a relationship with a girl, and he'll, he'll stop, and he'll, he'll ask his dad, he'll say, Dad, what does it all mean? He's talking to his girlfriend, he said, yeah, but, but what does it all mean? As he's experiencing life, he's like, I see these things that are happening to me, but what exactly do they mean? And the answers he, were, he was given were, didn't really satisfy him. But, but you know what? That is a worldview question. That is a question that it's not just for the, the college student at 2 o'clock in the morning in the dorm room talking about these huge philosophical things. What does it all mean? It's a question that we all kind of ask, right? It's like, what's going on here with this thing called life? What does it all mean? And I think everybody on this planet is trying to figure that one out, right? Everybody has their own answer to what does it all mean. And many of you are thinking through it right now. And what I want to do this morning is say, hey, there is a Christian way to think about this. Of putting together a framework the way that you can see reality. And you may wonder, well, why would you stop on a Sunday morning and talk about worldview. I mean, come on, we're, you know, I don't know where you're coming from, but probably most of you profess to be a Christian. So you're assuming, and I'm assuming, right, that we're just all on the same page. And so why stop on a Sunday morning and talk about worldview? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this. This is why we're stopping on Sunday morning to talk about worldview. I'm just going to be, I'm going to be very, very polite in saying this. The reason why we're stopping on Sunday morning to talk about a Christian worldview is because some, a lot of Christians are jacked up in their thinking. 
they're just whacked out thinking about their world. So they're claiming to be a Christian, and in many instances, I don't doubt that they are, but the way they see things in the world is not lining up with the Bible. Now, I am totally fine. If, if, if you are not a professing Christian, if you are of a different religion, I'm totally fine with your worldview uh, of not lining up with the Bible. I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to try to persuade you. But if you profess the name Jesus to be your Lord, and you're saying things that are go totally against the Bible, then I'm going to talk with you a little bit stronger. Because do not, do not proclaim Jesus and be jacked up about what that means. And so maybe just naivety or maybe you're just trying to mature. And so that's why we're going to stop and we're going to talk about it. So I'm going to play a little game with you to show you on how some Christians have some messed up thinking. And if you're in here with this messed up thinking, that is okay. I am glad you're here. But I'm going to play this little game. I am going to show you a statement. And then you're going to guess in the quietness of your mind and your heart what percentage of Christians believe it, okay? You you see how the game's going to work? There was a little study that was put out. It was mainly among younger Bible-believing Christians, like Bible-believing young... That's mainly people in this congregation, younger Bible-believing... There was a study put out asking them about their beliefs. And so I'm going to show you a statement, and you tell me the percentage of those younger believers that believe this. So statement number one. Here we go. Many religions can lead to eternal life. Now, this is, this is a statement made to younger believers in a study, all right? So how many, what percentage would you say in your mind that Bible-believing Christians believe that statement? And the answer should be zero, right? <laughs> right, zero. But the actual um, study determined that 50 to 60% of Bible-believing adults believe that many religions can lead to eternal life. My brothers and sisters, if you were just reading the Bible, you would never, ever come to that conclusion from reading this book. And interestingly enough, that 50 to 60% of American Muslims said the same as well. It just goes to show you what's going on in, in America, this relativism that's just kind of the undercurrent here. All right, let me do you one more for you. Let's put this one up. The God of the Bible is no different from the gods or spiritual beings depicted by world religions such as Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. All right? So that's the question that's put out to Bible-believing believers. It says, do you agree with this statement that basically all gods, you know, it's all just one God? So here you would think, once again, if you're just reading the Bible, you would say 0%. But the answer is, once again, 50 to 60% of adults agreed with this statement. And what seems to be going on and often going on in the Christian world, at least in America, is there's something floating around that is disrupting a biblical worldview where we're not thinking, I guess, rightly or biblically about these things of life. And a very popular term for this is something called moralistic therapeutic deism. Big, big word. Moralistic therapeutic deism. Uh, if you want to keep it short, you, you could call it an MTD. It's, it sounds like a disease. I got an MTD. You better go take care of that, all right? And that is a kind of a disease floating around in the Christian church. It's a, it's a term that was coined by uh, 
Christian Smith and Melina Denton in their book, Soul Searching. And I want to kind of explain what this moralistic therapeutism is, is talking about. Number one, it says this. A God exists who created and orders the world and watches over human life on earth. Emphasis on watch. So here's the deism part. A lot, a lot of Christians believe God created the world. That's right. But in the sense, he created it and he's done. He's just kind of chilling. He's just chilling and watching, seeing what happens. That's a deism part. The next part of this belief is part two, where it says, number two says, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. So there's the moralistic part. Just be a good girl. Just be a good boy. That's what God wants. He wants you to be good. The third part of this is the central goal in life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. There's the therapeutic part. God just wants you to be happy. Happy. He wants you to feel good about yourself. And it's classic Osteen. You know, it's just classic. Just, just wants you to feel good about yourself. Just, just be happy. That's all. That's all that matters. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. God's good. To, you know, if you need something, then you can call on him. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. So that's kind of the, the belief that's floating around in Christian churches, maybe in some of our hearts and minds here. It's kind of this combo of like God is like, he's like Santa Claus, you know, he's like our divine butler, and he's combined with a therapist. So basically, I need to be nice, and when I need something, then I need to ask God. Be nice and ask God for stuff when I need it. And I just need to be a good moral person. Now, what, what's really frustrating about this is not that this is floating around in the world, which is fine. But what's frustrating is that when we are claiming Jesus is Lord and we're believing the Bible, and yet we have this MTD, this kind of this disease floating around within us and within the church. And basically, I just want to tell you, that is not a Christian worldview. It's not, it's not, it's not a biblically-based worldview. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at kind of a, of a big picture. If you wanted to start to develop a Christian worldview, or maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you kind of wonder, what is a Christian worldview? What is a Christian way to look at the world? We're going to start going and looking at the big picture of how to start to develop a Christian worldview by looking at five categories that kind of consume the big questions in life. So if you're from another religion or you're atheist and you're trying to categorize the big questions in life, you may answer these differently, but let's just start talking through these things and hopefully talk some more after the service. The big question that we all want to ask is this, category one, God. Does God exist? There are many answers to that question, right? You have something called theism, which people would say God made everything. You would have pantheism. I talked to someone this week coming from that perspective, pantheism, that God is all. Or atheism, no God at all. So for a Christian worldview, we're coming from a Christian perspective. We believe we are Christian theists. We believe that there is a God and that he is infinite. He is transcendent. He is a personal God who is distinct from creation. And we believe that God has revealed himself. So we don't believe that God just said, poof, there's the world, and God, we don't have a clue who you are. We believe as Christians that God has revealed himself. In fact, we believe that God has revealed himself in three ways. 
We believe that God has revealed himself in what, in what he's created. So when we see the mountains, we see the sun, we see the moon, we see the beautiful day today. We go out by the lake and we go, wow, this creation is showing me that there must be a creator. So there's something called general revelation. What is created, we can know that there is a God. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So the Bible is very clear. By just looking at the creation, you can know that there is a God. In fact, the Bible would say, and the Bible says it kind of more forcefully than we would like to say it in our culture, but the Bible would say that atheists are fools. Atheists are fools. Basically says this as much in, in Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. All right, big question. God, is he real? Is he legit? Has he revealed himself? Christian worldview says yes. And the, the number one way that he's revealed himself that we would say, not just through creation, not just through the Bible. He's reviewed, revealed himself in special revelation, speaking through the prophets. But we would say the number one way that God has revealed himself is through Jesus in the incarnation. So we have these big three ways he's revealed himself in creation, through special revelation, the Bible. We know who, what God's like. And revealed himself in Jesus Christ. There is a God, the Christian worldview. Well, so if we got the, the God thing settled down, we say, okay, he exists. He's revealed himself in creation through the Bible, he's revealed himself also in Jesus. How shall we view reality? Brings us to point two, question number two. Ultimate reality. Has the universe always existed or did it have a beginning? Is the natural world all that there is? This is very important because these are the things you talk about in school, right? Like, how did this world get here? What is going on here? Has it always existed? What happened? And so the biblical witness makes fundamental claims about reality. That God purposefully and with order and design created all that comprises the material and immaterial universe out of nothing. The universe, our claim is not an accident. It's not self-created. It's not eternal. But when we read the Bible from the opening of Genesis all the way to Revelation, we see that God is proclaimed as the author, the creator, and the sustainer of creation, and the new creation to follow. So we'll say, yes, God is transcendent, and yet he created this world. But the Christian claim, since we're laying out a Christian worldview, is that in this world of ultimate reality, God not only created this world, but God is also intervening in history. Now, this is what makes Christianity so unique and also very scandalous. I want to make sure you get this, because we are not just saying that the Christian religion is one of, let's just say, a, a, a code of order or a rule book or a philosophy of religion. When we are talking about Christianity, we're talking about God invading history, revealing himself through real events, real people, real places, real time. I'm going to show you why this is significant in a minute. 
And it's very scandalous because what we're saying is that the truth of Christianity is bound up in God invading history. So what I'm saying, if God did not do stuff in history, if this is not historical, if these things did not really happen, then we can just take Christianity and throw it away because Christianity is just not a code of ethics or a philosophy of religion. Now, we could talk about this more at lunch, but this is one I want to kind of throw out to you here. It's very important to us that history really happened to make Christianity legit. Because you could take the existence of Buddha away and you could still have the teachings of Buddhism. In some sense, like it's a still philosophy of religion that could still stand. The same could be with Joseph Smith and Mormonism. You could take them away and say, okay, Mormonism is still going to stand as a philosophy of religion. The same could be said of Muhammad and Islam. It could still stand, and the teachings would still be legit, and they could still stand. But I'll tell you this. If you take away Jesus, if you take away the historical existence of Jesus, then Christianity just crumbles, falls apart. Why would I say that? Well, you say, well, you still, you could still have good teaching. You could still have philosophy. No, no. See, the Christian claim, Christianity, we're talking about faith in a person, the divine son of God who was put on the cross, but buried, rose again so that we can be forgiven. You take away Jesus in history, then we do not have Christianity. And so as we make this claim on ultimate reality, we say, oh, God has invaded history. Number three, human nature. What does it mean to be human? How do different religions describe what it means to be human? Well, the Christian religion or the Bible would say that we believe that humans are created in the image of God, which means there's something special and unique about each one of you where you have value. You're not God. You, you know that you're not God. You're distinct from God. And yet, because you're created in the image of God as a human being, you have value. The Bible teaches that. You're important. But the Bible also says you have issues. You have problems. You have sins. Even on your good days when you want to do your best, you still have problems, right? And so the Christian religion, it seems as if the Bible has the best explanation of what it means to be human, that you have value because you are created in the image of God, and yet the, the Bible also says you also have these sin issues. So it's a great explanation of what it means to be human. Let's move on to number four. A worldview must explain truth and knowledge. And this is the idea of does objective truth exist? This is the big question that my professor kept getting at in college when he kept bringing up this worldview discussion. Because every single one of us in here, we expect to have truth. If you got your... um, advertisement, you want to get an advertisement that says that a thing is a certain price, you want to go to the store and it be that price. You want truth. You want your teachers at school to teach you the truth. You want politicians to tell you the truth. You assume that road signs, when they say stop or one way, that they're legit. They're actually telling you the truth. You expect medicine bottles and prescriptions to tell you how much to take. You expect food food labels to tell you the truth. 
all parts of your life, you want the truth. You want the truth from who, people who take care of your money at the bank. You want the truth in your relationships. You want your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend to be telling you the truth. We want the truth in all facets of our life. And yet when we come to religion and morality, all of a sudden, truth is like, whatever. Whatever. This is up for grabs. So what do we mean by objective? That's kind of a hard concept to understand. What do we mean by objective? Well, by objective, we mean outside of ourselves. It's not dependent upon ourselves. It's outside of us. It's truth outside of us. So let me put it this way. Okay, I'm going to make an objective truth claim, right? This morning, I, Jason Lancaster, I am speaking a sermon on September the 7th, 2014. That is an objective truth claim. It is true for all time and for all people, and and no matter who wants to believe it or not, it is true. It doesn't matter if you feel like it's true, it is true. I'm speaking a sermon right now. Now, does it make sense for anyone to say, you know, Jason speaking this morning is true for you, but not true for me. Does that, does that make sense? That's, we don't deal with things like that. Oh, that no, he's not really speaking. No, that, that could be true for you, but not for me. No, we, we don't talk like that. Now, here's the deal. If there is no objective truth, then the Bible is false, period. And so are books about atheistic claims. They're false. Let's just do a little example here and, and take the example of Jesus, the famous example from John fourteen six, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is making an objective truth claim about himself and the way the world actually is. He, and, and the reality is this claim he's making is either true for all or it's true for none, right? It can't be true for you and true for me. It just can't be. It just can't be. I had a great conversation uh, this week with a guy. We were talking for 20, 30 minutes about Jesus, about religion, and he comes from a certain religion uh, where he believes that there is going to be reincarnation over and over and over again, and um, he just wants to keep getting better, and we were just having a good, I'm not trying to argue or fight with him. We're just having a nice conversation. I told him from the Bible that I believe that we die once, and after we die, we, we face judgment. And he comes from a particular religion that he wants to see all religions as the same. It's very important for him to see all religions basically saying the same thing. And I said, look, man, I know you, you're saying that, and I'm trying to be respectful to you, but we're saying different things here. You're saying you keep looping over and over again. And I'm saying it's just a one-shot deal. You die, you face judgment. He's like, ah, no, but they're, they're still the same thing. And I was like, man, these are, we're not saying the same thing. And I said, oh, here's the deal. I said, look, either you're right and I'm wrong, or I'm right and you're wrong, or we're both wrong. But we both can't be right. We're not trying to be arrogant and win arguments. We're just trying to deal with, with reality. Like, what's, what's really true? What's going on here? Can you make claims at all? 
And this brings us to the last part on ethics, on how we should live and our morals. Are there objective moral values and duties that govern human conduct? What are they? Is morality relative to the individual or the culture? Here's some questions for you. Is torturing and killing babies for the fun of it okay? Or is it wrong at all times for all peoples, all cultures? Is rape always wrong? Or is it like depending upon the culture? See, here's the deal. After the fall, we are created in the image of God. So you could even say, let's just set aside the Bible. We're created in the image of God. So whether you believe the Bible or not, what we're trying to say is that you are special. You have value. Whatever your age, whatever your mental capabilities, no no matter what's going on in your life, you have value. And there's a certain way that we should treat one another that's intrinsic to being humans created in the image of God. And then when we bring the Bible into it, we see the ethics explained what we should know in many ways in our natural condition. And so I think there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong, clearly spelled out in the Bible, but there are also this common morality on the basis of being human. And I know that you can argue a lot with your friends that are moral relativists and they, they believe, you know, truth is relative. We, there's not really right and wrong. And so when you're arguing with them in the coffee shop and they're saying, look, there's no truth. That's what's true for you, not true for me. When they're arguing with it, right then, just reach out and steal their iPhone. Just do it. Just steal their iPhone. I gave you permission to steal. Steal their iPhone and, and, see, <laughs> and see how they do. See how they do. See if they like, whoa, maybe there is some right and wrong here. Maybe there is some right and wrong. And so just like creation demands a creator, so these objective moral demands a lawgiver. There's something in us that distinguishes right and wrong. We can suppress it, but there's something saying, yeah, just in being human. So we just flip through this, this Christian worldview, okay, of God, his creation, his intervention, the, what it means to be human, the, the, the laws, and, and how we can know ethics. But here's the deal. As you're thinking through a worldview, whether it's Christian or not Christian, one of the things I want to challenge you to do is I want you to answer this question. Who is Jesus? Every Christian worldview and non-worldview has got to deal with the historical figure of Jesus because even non-Christians admit that he did exist as a historical figure. And in the Christian worldview, which means according to the Bible, we say that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. We believe he created the world, and we also believe that Jesus invaded the world, and he was God with us. We believe that Jesus is fully God and fully human. Our Bible teaches such things as Matthew one twenty three. Matthew one twenty three says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. John one one, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Christian worldview claims that Jesus was more than a prophet. Jesus was more than a wise teacher. We believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. And as we keep going with believing what we believe about Jesus, we say that Jesus of Nazareth, an actual historical person, died on the cross, and we believe that Jesus rose three days later. 
that means that we believe that it was not a spiritual resurrection. It was not a symbolic resurrection. It was a physical resurrection from the dead. That means that he was put in the tomb. Three days later, he was no longer there. That is our truth claim, right? And it's very important to us. And as we interact with our friends and family, like I said, we're not trying to win arguments and to show how great we are. We're just trying to convey the truth of Jesus and how important he is to us. But let's just say, like, for example, this past week I was talking to a man uh, around his 60 years old who's thought a lot about these things, totally does not believe Christian faith, he's rejected Jesus. But I was talking to him, I said, look, man, if I just throw out all my experiences, throw out my experience that Jesus has changed my heart, he's given me new life, he's changed my life, because you could probably give me your little change life spill from something else. Okay, let's throw that aside. Let me tell you, I guess intellectually, why I believe that Jesus is legit and his resurrection is legit. And so he was open to that. I said, look, man, the Bible says that 500 people saw him after he came back. And he said, oh, well, that could just be history written. They could just be making that stuff up. I said, okay, okay. But what really convinces me on the resurrection of Jesus, apart from Jesus changing my life and all that I just talked about, but what convinces me intellectually that Jesus really rose from the dead, this is it right here, is that the disciples went from being wimps to martyrs. And it seems rational to me that something happened. And the way that I believe that's explained is that the resurrection of Jesus happened. So they're freaking out. They're hiding. They're scared. Jesus shows up whoa, you are really alive. And they's like, all right, Jesus, we're with you all the way to the end. And just about all of them get killed. It convinces me. He really did rise from the dead. And I was talking to another guy this week, and I was saying, look, man, let me tell you this. If he really, if he really didn't rise from the dead, really, if, he, if you somehow come up to me, prove to me, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. I mean, this is very shocking, but I am done here. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I am quitting my job today. I am taking the Bible, throwing it away. No joke. I am done. And he's like, man, why would you do that? No, you can still take the teachings. No, I'm done. Because I say like the Apostle Paul, I am to be pitied because I'm still in my sins. And if Jesus didn't really rise, then I'm doomed. And so if we believe Jesus... If you say you believe Jesus, my brothers and sisters, if you say this is a Christian worldview, the reality is that what's going on in your head intellectually will start to affect your heart and it will spill out into your hands and your actions and you will say, Jesus is Lord, I now bow to him. Because if you truly believe this, it will impact your life and he will be Lord over your life. So not just Jesus is Lord in general, but he is Lord over my life. Like the book of Philippians explains, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and even every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So he is Lord out here to all, but he's also Lord over my life. As Romans chapter 10 verse 9 explains, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
And my brothers and sisters, I'm not just talking up here for me intellectually. I'm talking about a Lord who has invaded my life, convicted me of my sins at 19. Said, look, man, you got to start living for me. Repent. And I repented of my sins. I repented of my sexual morality. I repented of my greed. I repented of my foul mouth. I repented of my life of sin. I put my faith in my Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just a, a confession. It's not just an intellectual belief. It's something that trickles down to your heart. And you know what? I'm going to bow to my Lord. So if you're here this morning got some intellectual questions, you've got some theological strug- struggles, some philosophical issues, some emotional problems, you're not quite sure whether you believe this Christian thing or this Jesus person that we keep talking about, I want you to know that Evanston Bible Fellowship, EBF, is a safe place to ask questions, to explore, to figure these things out. Because I know that many of you were raised in a Christian home, raised in a Christian worldview, and I know that some of you are having doubts right now, and I want to tell you, doubts are a normal part of the Christian life. Even I have doubts, you have doubts. We go through periods where we have doubts. And I want to tell you, what you need to do when you start to have doubts is is don't go go live in some shack and figure it out. Stay in community. Ask questions. Stay together. Stay with brothers and sisters. Work on these doubts. Work through these issues. Now's the time of your life to figure these things out. Don't investigate alone. So let me give you kind of three things in, in, in parting. This concept of just jumping in in community. We have ethos community starting next week. Jump in. Ask the hard questions of your group, of your leaders to keep pointing you back to Jesus. Number two, if you want to explore worldview further, there's a great book, really quick read. I bet you can read it within one hour. It's a book called What's Your Worldview? Really, really good book. Pop it up on your phone. You can buy it on Amazon right now if you want to. Really good book. I recommend you read that. Take you about an hour to read. Number three, in about a few minutes here, uh, the elder of our church, Jerry Bogatz, and I are going to be over here at Potbellies. We love to answer questions or at least to ask you questions, talk through some different things. We want to keep coming back to what does the word say, who's Jesus all about? Because a Christian worldview matters. Because it demands a transformation of our thought life. And as our minds are transformed, our hearts are transformed, and it lives out in reality. And as we see reality rightly, it will enable us to live a life that glorifies God. If we can start seeing what's going on, what is going on with this thing called life, if we see reality rightly, we will live lives to the praise of his name. So I end with a quote from C.S. Lewis. He once said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Let's pray. Lord, you have set this world up. And you have told us that it's not up to us to make it up, just to make up what's real, what's not real. You didn't leave us hanging. You invaded our lives. You've revealed yourself in creation, through your word, and in Jesus. And I just ask, Lord God, that you would continue to transform our minds and our hearts and our actions to think the way you think and to act the way you would have us to act. 
in a way that we would bring glory to you in everything that we do. And where we're struggling and where there's doubts and where there's, we're just wondering what's really true, what's not true, may we not stay silent today. May we speak up. And may you surround my brothers and sisters and those who have yet to come to faith, surround them with your love and your truth of Jesus. And to his name we pray, amen.